0: Let's open them up to Matthew chapter 24. Somebody tell me something about Matthew 24. I want, I, you know why I ask that is because I, I hope that you guys are learning something. You know, like, I kind of fancy myself a preacher. You know, I, I, I always tell my wife, like, I don't necessarily enjoy as much this, the, the, the parts of the Bible that I, I have to teach. But I know that's my call. My call is to teach and preach. And, and as a pastor teacher, you know, but my just kind of personality i I prefer when I get to preach, you know, and i i don 't know I just that's but when I have to teach, teach and slow down a little bit, but I think the value. Of, of preaching and teaching and the, the combo of them both is, is so valuable in our churches. And I know that that in order for us to grow as believers in Christ, a big part of what I have to do, I have to stay committed um, as a pastor here is to take seasons and take weeks and chapters where we're focused on teaching the Word of God. And so it's super important that we, again, that we do both and that we teach the Word of God. And I can't, you know, I'd love, I'd love to just come and preach every week and, um, and just to get busy one time, but I can't do that. And I need to, we need to um, also learn. And so I, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying, and I ask because um, I want us to be following along. And I'll tell you, I'll confess something to you about Matthew 24. Now, again, in uh, Matthew 24, so if I say, what, well, tell me something about Matthew 24. One of the things you can know is Matthew 24, we call it the Olivet Discourse. Now, you learn something. Everybody say, Olivet. Why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Because Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives um, when he gave it. Okay, Jesus is how far away from the cross in Matthew 24? About 48 hours. He's he's very close in in a short amount of time, 48 or less hours to Jesus hanging on a cross. And so he's giving his Kind of final thing. Now, Jesus is asking or answering, I'm sorry, a question that the disciples ask in verse number three. Do you remember last week I asked you guys to say one, two, three with me? Because in verse three of Matthew 24, the disciples ask a three part question. Okay, so let's look at it. Verse chapter 24, verse three, and it says, um, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives, so we call it the Olivet Discourse. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will be the sign of your coming? One, I'm sorry. Um, the disciples said, when will be, when will these things be? One. And what will be the sign of your coming? Two. And of the end of the age? Three. So, so the disciples ask a three-part question. Now in Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, that is all um, what we would call under the category of biblical prophecy. Now the Bible, which Jesus is gonna tell us in a moment, the Bible is the most unique and powerful book on all of planet Earth. No other holy book, no other literary book even holds a candle comparatively to the Bible and what the Bible does. The Bible is full of prophecy. It's full of predictions of tomorrow. Jesus said, I'll tell you the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. Jesus said, "I, I, I haven't done anything that I won't first tell you. The Bible was written by 40 different authors, 66 books on different continents, over a thousand years apart, and it still has one central theme, not one contradiction. It's, It's accurate. The Bible of itself says so. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, and we should remember that because it's, it's 3.16. We can call it another 3.16. says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And you might say, oh, well, the Bible says that of itself. Well, yes, that makes it all much more that valuable, that the Bible makes a claim that it's infallible. And over and over again, in the Bible, it makes this same claim. Jesus is going to say here in this chapter in Matthew 24, listen, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. So if you adhere to any other kind of idea or doctrine, you have to take what Jesus is going to say in this chapter about his word and throw it away. Because to believe anything else, you have to believe that that the word of God has been corrupted. And I'll tell you, every ism and schism and cult and every other ideology of Satan that exists in the world today, the number one thing that it has to attack is the word of God and the power and the validity of the word of God. And that is what's consistent of every other religion in the world. You know, I just saw and I study and I follow one of the prophecy kind of gurus um, is a guy, a pastor, a Calvary Chapel pastor by the name of Jack Hibbs. And Jack Hibbs and Amir Safadi, they they travel the world and they teach prophecy conferences. And Jack has one of the largest Calvary chapels in the world, in Southern California, and he's got a reputation and a name for being very well-versed and very well-taught in the area of biblical prophecy. And Jack just shared this last week about a discovery and, and with the, the what happened with ISIS and all of these things that we now have, and they're in the United States in lock, and it will come out, and the information to some degree has already come out, but it was kind of new to me. But it's, it's information that the Quran is a, a false, it's, it's a phony. And, 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 you know, one of the reasons why if you ask a Muslim why they won't believe the Bible, and they say they believe in the Bible anyways, and that the root of Islam is um, Abrahamic religion, which it's not, but it says that it's supposed to be Abrahamic religion. They say they believe in Jesus in the, in the Quran although it's a different Jesus. But, but this information proves... And a Muslim will say that the Bible was written by 66 different books, by 40 different authors, and how can you trust it? And, 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 and yet, the Quran wasn't even written by Muhammad. It was written over two or 300 years later by four different authors and all of this stuff. And they have this stuff dated and documented. It's going to come out. And it's going it's to create some problems for those that pay attention to it with the, the reliability of the Quran. And, and the reliability, really, of any other holy book in the world including the book of mormon and any other holy book it doesn't hold a candle to the word of god it's just not even in the same it's not even in the same class it's such a joke you know that that the power of the word of god and and what the word of god can do and and what it what it proves in itself so it says this of itself now in revelation real real quickly you can turn there or you can just hang out right back in revelation chapter 19 it says in verse number in verse number 10 it says and I fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me see that you do not do that now this is John and and an angel appears and John falls on his face before this angel because he sees this angelic being like many of us might do and he begins to worship the angel and every time an angel appears, and, and this happens a couple times in the Bible, and men kind of have that natural reaction of bowing down, and they're afraid. The Bible says that the men are afraid when it first happens. And I mention that because somebody else saw an angel, and he had a, said he saw an angel and had a completely different reaction that's totally strange. But the real people that really saw angels in the Bible, they, they, they get afraid, and, 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 and many of them bow down, and the angel always does the same thing. What does he do? He says, don't worship me. Get up. I'm not allowed to receive worship. I'm not God. Only one can receive worship, and that is God. And there's another place where where Jesus appears in the Old Testament, and and they bow down and worship him, and he allows them to worship him. That's how you know that it's Jesus. That's how you know that it's a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in in the flesh or in spirit. But anyways, this angel, John bows down. He says, get up. Don't worship me. I'm just an angel. See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Basically, worship Jesus. God only. Listen, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The Bible says that, that Jesus in himself is the spirit, and within Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, in the subject of, of biblical prophecy, um, it, it's they say, which I've never done it, so you can do your own homework if you don't believe me, But they and I encourage you to do that, but they say that, that a third of the Bible is prophetic. A third of the Bible covers future events. Some of them fulfilled, which means that a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament from... Adam, all the way to Malachi, was God telling the people that he was going to send a Messiah. That God was going to send his son and and that that Messiah would come, a Savior would come. And so much of the prophecy in the Old Testament of that part has been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem in a manger, who lived a sinless life and died in Jerusalem upon a cross. And, and, And so that was fulfilled. Now, the New Testament, the broadest subject in the New Testament, anybody want to take a, a gander at what, what the New Testament talks about more than any other subject? Jesus, hey, that's a good answer in church, baby. Jesus, of course. What about specifically about Jesus? I'll tell you the broadest, um, the broadest in the subject in the New Testament is the second return of Jesus Christ is the fact that this Messiah, that all of the Old Testament prophesied, that God told the people in the world that I'm going to send a Messiah. He came, he fulfilled those prophecies, he died on a cross, he rose again. And then the entire New Testament, 300 verses in the New Testament alone about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, I often tell you as as Christ followers... You never have to apologize for believing that Jesus is going to come back, for telling people Jesus is going to come back. And, and what, do, what does the world want you to believe? What does the world want to belittle you with and, and, and hurt your confidence with? That you're some kind of freak, you're some kind of Jesus freak if you, know, you believe, oh, Jesus is coming back. Then it makes you fanatical. And the world doesn't care if you, if you profess a certain belief in God and in Jesus. But once you start, if you go, oh, but just don't go too far. Just don't believe all that the Bible says. And they're fine. But as soon as you believe what the Word of God says, and you say that, that, that I believe Jesus is coming back, they want to label you as fanatical, as weird. But I, I want to encourage you, listen. It's, it's, it's one of the simplest, one of the most common, one of the easiest things to defend, 300 times in the New Testament, 300 times, God says he's coming back. He's going to send his son. And you can be confident in that fact that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Now, the question is, and the disciples wanted to know, which we all want to know, when is he coming back? So how, how many, who wants to just take a quick gander, raise your hand, stand up, and tell us all what day, an hour he's coming, date he's coming, anybody? Anybody want to take a crack at it? Soon, soon, praise God. So that's what the disciples wanna know when. Now, just in comparison real quick on that last topic and then I'll I'll move on. But uh, seven verses in the New Testament deal with um, new birth. So it's very important. Jesus said, you must be born again. But in context, seven times in the New Testament verses about us having to be reborn. 20 verses in the Bible about repentance and faith in the New Testament. Um, 70 verses in the Bible that deal with baptism of either water or the Spirit, um, of baptism in faith, water in the Spirit. 70. And those are major, major doctrines in Christian theology. And, and combined, that's about 97 verses for all of these other four topics combined, and 300 verses in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, again, as we get into and I... Do you guys remember where we left off last week? Neither do I, so we're just gonna guess. No, I'm just kidding. I think I got it. Um, we left off in the in the subject of verse 15 last week, so let's let's kind of pick up there. Um, actually, I can't pick up in 15 yet because I got one more thing in opener. Um, yeah, strange, huh? I never do that. Um. What was the thing when the disciples asked this question? Okay, Jesus, this three-part question. Jesus said, the temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left on another. It's going to be left desolate. This rocked their theology. It rocked their world. They couldn't imagine a place where um, there was no temple. And they thought, oh, this must be the end of the world. Jesus, when will these things happen? And what will be the coming? And then in verse 4, Jesus begins to answer their question. And the very first thing that Jesus talks about is a concern that he has for you and I. He's very concerned that we be not deceived in these last times, in these last hours. There's so much deception that will come that Jesus is very concerned for you not to be deceived and not listen to the lies in the world and the Christ and the false Christ and antichrist and things that are going on. And I tell you guys all the time that, that you know, I want to be careful and I want to, you know, that, that that you have, and listen, I want to take the responsibility off of my shoulders I want to wear the responsibility that I'm due to wear as a pastor teacher. But at the same time, listen, you personally have responsibility as a Christ follower to be not deceived. Okay, if you you are deceived, the person who deceived you will not be standing next to you as an excuse on judgment day. You'll give account. And there is an expectation that we be a people of the word, that we be a people that are not deceived. There's only one way you're not going to be deceived people. And some of it is really, really simple. I mean, if you would just read in context just as a child, Matthew 24, you would cover so much deception already cut out of your life right there. You just protected yourself from so many different deceptions that we see people fall to. And when we see people fall to some of these deceptions as people of the word, it troubles me because I think how in the world could you be so stupid? How, how, all you have to do is read one verse. It says right here, Jesus very clear, no man knows the day or the hour that he's coming back. Nobody. So a guy shows up and he says, everybody, I know when Jesus is coming back. And people sell everything they have. They invest their entire lives. They charge their credit cards because Jesus is coming back. And then the day comes and goes and and they stop being a Christ follower because they were devastated by this lie. And I'm like, man, all you had to do was just read and believe one verse in the Bible. Just read it. No, man, knows the day or the hour. And so for we as a people, right, we're never going to fall to that deception. If I show up next Sunday and I say, people, listen, I I received a real revelation from the Holy Spirit in my jacuzzi this morning. And I know the day that Jesus is coming back. I would expect that all of you would get up politely, quietly, (laughs) loudly, I don't care, and leave and never come back. Because I'm a whack job. And because the Word of God taught you better than that. And that you wouldn't allow deception. So again, Jesus is concerned with your deception. I want to show you, we'll just do it now because it's going to get late and then I'll forget it. But listen, the, the reason why, I want to show you a little clip, a little video clip. And it's about deception. It's about something that's going on right now. Now listen, you, you may, may or may not understand this, but what you're going to see, oh, you can stop that one second. Okay, is there sound? What you're about to see is multiplied hundreds of times over all over the world in different aspects in different places, Okay. And 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 just because the Bible says there's going to be f- f- Christ and false Christ, and when someone says they're the Lord, real simply don't believe it. And like again, when this when these two women here, they're going to talk in a minute. Like all all they would have to do is take five minutes out of their lives and read Matthew 24, and and it should really straighten up a lot of this kind of nonsense. But look, check this out. If we can get some sound. And again, this, this is just. Here. Um, for all your hate, all you haters, if you don't know Prophet Joshua Holmes, you ain't got the Holy Spirit. That's all I gotta say. You don't know Prophet, you don't know Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's changing lives every day. He is, he, is, he is Jesus in the flesh. He is. He is Jesus in the flesh. He is. He is Jesus in the flesh. He is very tangible. Hit the power of God on him, Just because he throws his jacket. If you, because you can't throw your jacket. Exactly. You know, I mean, if you can't throw a jacket, I can understand why you could say, oh, well, you know. Hi, everyone. My name is Mylesha. I'm with JHM. My prophet is Prophet Joshua Holmes Apostle. He is my father. Also, you will see me call him my Lord, my divine King Jesus, because he is just that. He is my Lord, just as Sarah's Lord was Abraham. She knew who her Lord was. We should try that next Sunday. (laughs) All right, enough of that. So again, last time I talked through this, There was another guy, and he was in South America. I think he was Venezuelan or something, and he was um, claiming to be Jesus in the flesh, and had lots of people that were following him. People like these two women that gave testimony that that are a part of this ministry that they believe he is in fact Jesus in the flesh. Um, This particular guy in Venezuela I showed last year, he um, and just again I could have picked anybody. I just picked one randomly. It's all over the place. It's happening and. Um, And again, you know, when we believe he's Jesus in the flesh, like there's five verses just in Matthew 24 alone that'll protect you. One of them is, um, how about 26? Therefore, if if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is Joshua Holmes Ministries in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For whether the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered together. So, again, um, you know, and I think for us, you know, a little bit of Bible literacy goes a long way, right? And we think this is crazy. How can, but it's happening all over the world. And Jesus was concerned about this type of deception. And so we want to be not deceived. All right, so that does bring us to verse 15 where we left off last week. And it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place... Whoever reads, let him understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let him who is in the housetop not go down and take anything out of the house and let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. For the, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. In verse 20, 23, and then again, he's going to say it in 26. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if you say, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So, you know, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, I don't think that any of these guys would qualify as a lightning flash from the east to the west. Twice Jesus, again, concerned as he started in verse 4 with us not being deceived, comes back in verse 23 and verse 26, same topic, don't be deceived. Now, again, um, in context, Jesus is answering a three-part question. The three parts of the question that he details is for the disciples who were there on that day. It had to be um, practical, relevant, and true for them in their day. And so Jesus was giving them a prophecy that in A.D. 70 would be the culmination of of Rome coming and marching upon Jerusalem. And in A.D. 70, Titus Vespasian, starting in 67, in a three-year siege of Jerusalem, sacked the city of Jerusalem. And in AD 70, Jews began to be dispersed around the world. There was, there was a group of Jews that stayed in Israel and they lasted until about 120. And in the year 120, in a place called Masada in Israel, near the Dead Sea, was the final Roman siege of the last contingency of Jews that, that remained there in the Holy Land. And after that point, for, until 1948, May 14, 1948, all of Israel was dispersed all over the world. One of the number one proofs that the Bible is true is the Jew. There's never been another culture that's lasted more than three generations without a homeland and have remained and kept everything about them. Their identity, their culture, their history, their language, their, their their um, um, that other thing. Ethnicity, their DNA, uh, I was trying to think of that word that they're, they, they've not lost in the fact that they were dispersed for 1900 years and according to, to all the Bible prophecies, that God gathered them from the four winds of the earth and brought them back miraculously in 1948 to become a nation again. Now, now you need Israel in the Holy Land in order for Jesus to come back. You know, there's lots of things that, that have to happen and can't happen. And there's some people that might want to tell you that still some things have not been fulfilled in order for Jesus to come back. And I'm here to tell you that's the farthest thing from the truth absolutely 100% of the things biblically that need to happen in order for Jesus to come back have happened, and Jesus could come back at any moment. And one of those things was that, that Israel had to be reborn as a nation. And can you imagine for, for, for 1,900 years being spread all over the world, and miraculously in Aliyah as the Jews begin to, to come back and make pilgrimage back to the Holy Land. And I think it was about four years ago we announced that for the first time there were more Jews living in Israel than there were in the United States and in other places in the world, that as the population of the Jews began to grow in Israel, the number one proof that that the Bible is true miraculously. And so, um, now the abomination of desolation, we went through that last week. Did we, um, did everybody learn? Did we make it clear as mud? Yeah. Abomination of desolation, Okay. Daniel spoke of it, ladies. You'll be studying this this concept and this idea more thoroughly on Tuesday nights as you go through the Book of Daniel. But again, so you, something you need to understand: Jesus um, is is talking about now. Let me back up a little bit because I'm getting jumbled here. But um, back to the three parts. Okay, the three parts was the 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 siege of AD 70, the temple destroyed. Second part is is the great um, the rapture of the church. Okay the bride of Christ being removed. So it's a doctrine the Bible teaches, again, um, several places that that before the seven-year tribulation period, that the bride of Christ will be raptured, will be taken up. And then the third part is detailing what's going to happen for that seven years. And Jesus is dealing really with all three as we go through Matthew 24, three-part question. Okay? So we're going to deal more with the rapture next week because in, in Matthew 25, Jesus is going to go on and he's going to give a, a, a parable next week and the teaching next week, or actually not next week, the following week we'll get to that, um, of of Jesus giving a parable the ten virgins, five had oil, five didn't have oil, five were taken, five were left, and so it's... it's it's specifically about the rapture. So we'll cover the rapture last week. So in verse 15, when Jesus says to the Jews, when you see the abomination of desolation, he's at and the, the period of human history that he's talking about specifically. And this one, no question, we know we can go through Matthew 24 and sometimes we can argue a little bit about where he's talking about in a specific verse or, or passage here in Matthew 24. In verse 15, there's no controversy. Because he's as clear as day. When you see the abomination of desolation, the Bible is clear in four places. The abomination of desolation is the event where the Antichrist who comes on the scene right after the rapture of the church at the beginning of the seven year tribulation period who makes a peace treaty between Israel and, and the Arab nation to be able to rebuild the Jewish temple and the temple will go up fast the third temple the Jews will again institute animal sacrifices and Old Testament rituals in the temple on the temple mount in Israel at the three and a half year mark the Antichrist will go to Israel he will go into in t- the temple mount he will go into to the new rebuilt temple and he will, he will declare himself as God and demand that the world and the Jews worship him as God. That is the abomination of desolation. It's a future event that will take place. It will take place at the three and a half year mark of the seven year period. Jesus said the the abomination of desolation will mark a change in the seven-year period. The first half of the, the seven years is called the tribulation period, and it's terrible, and it's God's wrath. And a third of the world's population will die in the first three years, three and a half years. And then in the second half where Jesus is talking about, he, he calls it here something different, and he details the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period as the great tribulation. Because the events that are going to take place in the last three and a half years are going to be worse than the events that took place in the first three and a half years. And he tells the Jews at this point in um, the tribulation period that they're to flee. And again, this is Jewish. We're not there. This doesn't center around the United States. I want to tell you, and this may may uh, upset you a little bit, but, and I didn't, I didn't mean to upset you this morning. It wasn't my point, but... And, and, and there's people that, that would disagree with me, and that's okay. I, I, I have no problem with them being wrong. I just. Um, but the Bible, um, the, the United States is not mentioned in biblical prophecy. Russia is mentioned, Iran is mentioned, Saudi Arabia is mentioned, Egypt is mentioned, China is mentioned. But the United States is not mentioned in biblical prophecy. Do you, do you realize the United States today as we are, 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 are the, the greatest superpower that, that, that the world has ever known since Adam and Eve? No empire and no, no, no thing has been greater than where the United States is today in our military prowess and power and, and, and wealth. Greatest empire the world has ever seen, United States of America. And yet, we're not mentioned in biblical prophecy. How is that? Some would say, oh, there's a verse that talks about the young lions of Tarshish, and that's the United States. But it's a very little, even if it is, which I don't think it is, but even if it is, it's one little tiny verse that doesn't even mean a lot about biblical prophecy. And, and, and you'd really have a hard time finding the United States in biblical prophecy when all these other superpowers that are, that are going on, Syria, where, where Damascus is, is a key to biblical prophecy because one of the keys of biblical prophecy is Isaiah 17.1. Isaiah 17.1 says that Damascus, the city in Syria today where the war is taking place, which is 50 miles from the border of Israel, that you could stand on a chair in, in the Golan Heights and you can see cars driving in Damascus, Syria. The Bible says in Isaiah 17.1 that Damascus, Syria will become a ruinous heap. You can count on it. You, you can go to the bank with that one. It will happen. And, and that's one of the keys. It's in Damascus, Syria. But we, the United States, are not. Now, quickly again, we'll deal with the rapture next week, again, or two weeks from now. But um, one of the theories, my personal idea, is that where in the world, what people in the world will be most affected if, in fact, the Lord raptures the church right at the beginning of the seven years? Who, who, how, how affected will Saudi Arabia be in the rapture? No, Christians in Saudi Arabia. How how affected will Egypt be? How affected will Russia be? They will have some effect maybe in Russia and China. China has lots of Christians in China, but China has, you know, in India, right, the world's largest population. But the United States is really going to become crippled in the rapture. You think of all the pilots, our military, our our infrastructure, the the amount of people in the United States that are Christian. And and it's possibly one of the reasons why the United States is not listed in, in biblical prophecy. Now, I talked about not depressing you, but I have another theory that, um, you know, might, uh, might be another reason, and, and if you're going to, the, the Bible says that Iran and Syria are going to attack Israel, led with some other nations. That's, that's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of the seven years. It's called the Gog invasion of Ezekiel 37 and 38, and 36... Um, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the dead bones, and the dead bones begin to rise, and that's a prophecy that in 19, May 14, 1948, that, that against all odds, the nation of Israel will rise out of the ashes and become a nation again. That was fulfilled already. Ezekiel 36 was fulfilled in some of your lifetimes, not mine, of course. Um, Ezekiel 37 and 38 yet future and it's it's a prophecy of the, of the of the beginning of the end and it's an invasion called the Gog and Magog invasion 10 nations led by Iran and Syria that will that will come against and Russia that will come against Israel. Now now if you're going to attack Israel And in our current state where we are, we're going to defend Israel. So maybe there's some limited type of, and I I don't think biblically we can make a case that the world will be destroyed in a nuclear um, attack. We know that even in China, they have this term, I think it's called the four times ability, which China has enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world four times over. So after they've completely destroyed the entire world, including themselves, they're just going to launch three more attacks just to make sure. But they, they have enough weapons just in China to destroy the world four times over. I don't believe biblically that there's a case that, that the world will see that kind of destruction. But there is probably some verses in the Bible in Revelation that, w- that are possibly describing um, um, limited nuclear attacks in certain places. And it's possible the United States, um, just prior to the rapture, just after the rapture, comes under some kind of nuclear attack that 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 creates a a dust of a cloud of dust that that when the dust settles and the people are gone and the antichrist rises up that it helps kind of you know with the confusion and making the explanation of what happened to all the people and so um all right hey let's try to cover we got a couple minutes Um, Look with verse 29 with me. I want to cover one more topic in this chapter I think is important. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then a sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's really important to Jesus, the harvest festival guy. He's coming and it says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, um, in verse 32 is the question that, that the disciples ask, and when will these things be? And so Jesus is going to answer in verse 32 part of that three part question about when these things will be. And Jesus said, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaf, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Somebody say amen. So Jesus said, now learn a parable of the fig tree. Now, biblically, the fig tree is an idiom for anybody know? Israel. It's a type of the nation Israel. Okay, and every time when you see that that in the in, in biblical prophecy, the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. Okay, so in that, Jesus said, "The generation that sees the fig tree re blossom and rebud, this will be the generation that sees all of these things take place: the rapture, the end times, these things." Israel rebe- uh, became a nation again, May 14, 1948. So, so because of this, this prophecy here, that the, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel will see these things. Some people have said in, um, that a biblical generation. So there, there's, you can make a good case for what a biblical generation is with three numbers, 40, 70, or up to 100. You know, the Bible says that for a generation, the nation of Israel wandered around the wilderness. That was 40 years. Um, in, in, in the Psalms, it talks about 70 years being a generation for those. 70 years is given a man to, to, to live, and anything after that is a gift. 100 years, um, it says four generations stayed in Egypt for four generations. They were in Egypt for how long? 400 years. So it would be four generations, 100 years. So you can make a biblical case for several things. But there was a guy, you know, in 1988, and he made a biblical generation 40 years. And you wonder, how did that guy predict that Jesus was coming back in 1988? Well, simply what he did was he took 1948. He added what he thought was a biblical generation to it, 40 years. And it brought him to 1988. And he wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then 1988 came and, came and went. And rather than come out and repent and say, I should have read Matthew 24 that says, No man knows the day or the hour. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he didn't. He doubled down and he wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back. True story, in, 18, in 1989. Thankfully, he didn't write one in 1990. But that's how he came to that. So again, you know, some would say, which I think maybe there's, there's a little um, truth to it, that Jesus is just using the fig tree here as an analogy to say that you will see the signs of the times. And that's how you'll know that you're living in the season that I'm coming, that it's not specifically a a prediction, a prophecy about the nation of Israel. I personally fall in the camp that this is talking about Israel, that the generation that sees Israel reborn as a nation will be the generation that sees the second coming and the rapture of Christ. And so, um, you know, we just had a big anniversary, right? We just got to 70. So um, in 18, in May of of, of 2018, was the 70-year anniversary as, as Israel is as a nation. And so that generation. Anybody born in here in 1948? Nobody? You're already born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that generation. So we have one of our pastors. He was born in forty eight. So we always say, watch Pastor Bob. If he starts looking like he's going gonna to die, then you'll know Jesus is coming soon. Because his generation is supposed to see the return of Jesus. And then in verse 36, as we close, it says, but know of that day and hour, I want you guys to know this verse 36, but of that day and hour, what? No. no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be for as the day, for as in the days of Noah, there were, Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so, again, the, the, the call of God on your life and my life, listen, in all of this stuff, is to be ready. I told you guys last week that when Lydia's dad um, became a pastor and a, and a leader in the church, And when he was first married, him and his wife made a decision they weren't going to have kids because they they believed the imminent return of Jesus Christ was coming so fast that there was no reason for them to have kids. And he believed in his day in the 70s that, that Jesus was coming at any moment. And he's lived his life faithfully serving God for 40 years, believing to this day that Jesus could come at any moment. And Jesus didn't come in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or up to this point. And the Bible says that the world is going to look at that and they're going to mock us and they're going to say, oh, you Christians, you've been saying that for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Jesus is coming. He's not coming. We know he's not coming because he hasn't come already. But I want to tell you something about Lydia's dad and, the, and his belief and his faith that Jesus was coming back in 1970. It's purified how he's lived all these years. It was by the will and the design of God that he believed that Jesus would come back at any moment. The Apostle Paul who lived 2,000 years ago, believed in his heart that Jesus could come back in his lifetime. And that was because that was the way that God designed it and God wanted it. And God said, he who has this hope in him purifies himself. And he said, for each one of us to be ready. If you'd known when the thief was coming, you'd be prepared. If I told you today that tonight at 3 p.m., someone's gonna break in your house and steal your goods, at 3 p.m. tonight, where are you gonna be? On your couch with a double-barrel shotgun. Waiting ready, but you don't know the day or the hour. And so Jesus said very simply, watch and pray. Be ready for you know not the day that your Lord is coming. And I don't want any of us ever to live with the idea that Jesus couldn't come back today or is not coming back. I also want to be careful because we don't want to, again, we don't want to be those people that go and, you know, not live life because Jesus is coming back, go and charge our credit cards and, you know, oh, well, I don't have to pay these bills back and go live up life or do whatever because, you know, we really believe. Jesus said, occupy till I come. And there's two parts to the message. Watch and pray. Be ready. Know biblically that we are seeing some signs. We're living in a generation that has seen things come to pass biblically that no other generation has ever seen before. And, and, and absolutely everything that needs to take place for Jesus to come back has happened before our eyes. That there's more signs and wonders and things that are taking place that say that we are living in a day that Jesus is going to come back. But in the meantime, we occupy till he comes. It's very possible the Lord could tarry for another 30 years, another 40 years, another 10 years, another five years. What are you going to do for the next 30 years? What are you going to do for the next 40 years if the Lord tarries? We're going to serve him, right? We're going to walk with the Lord, Believe in every day that he could come back because the Bible says, for he who has this hope in him purifies himself. And it changes how we live every day. So let's live with the expectancy that the Lord could come back at any moment. And in the meantime, know there's work to be done. There's a gospel that needs to be preached. There's lost people that need to be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's have the worship team come up. They're going to close us in a song today. <clears throat> There's a, there's a thing I like to call the Psalms progression. Everybody real quick, say Psalms, Psalms progression. progression. Let me teach you what that is real quick. Last thing. In the Psalms, we sang a song. Um, Brian may need to help me out here. But we sang a song um, in our worship set today, and it talked a lot about it, mentioned over and over again, the name, the name, the name. What's the name of that song we sang? Oh, the name what? It's called, oh, our Lord. Oh, our Lord. So in that, in that psalm, over and over again, we sang as a church this morning, the name of God, the name of God, the name of God. And when you read the psalms, there's something about um, what we call the psalms progression. There's this progression of, of verses in the psalms beginning in one and coming all the way to the almost to the end of the psalms in 100 psalms 138. And there's this crescendo building that God puts his name on. Above all other names. That the name of God is great. The name of God is to be worshipped. The name of God is great and greatly to be praised. The name of God. The name of God. The name of God. The name of God. And there's this amazing value that that God spends 138 psalms to, to put this value upon his name. That all of us should respect and love and know. The Bible says in the New Testament that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, at the name. And the Psalms progression is in Psalms 138. God makes this entire um, argument and, and point that his name is so great. And then you come to Psalm 138 in verse two and something radical happens. Listen to what God says. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name, again, your name, for your loving kindness and your truth. And then listen to this. For you, God, have magnified your word above your name. (laughs) God puts his word above his name. After he spends 138 chapters to tell you how great his name is, and he tells you where where the word of God sits in that. And the word of God is important, it's valuable, it's powerful. The Bible says in, in John chapter 1 that, that Jesus is the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says in Revelation that, that the word of God is the, is the revelation, is the uh, revelation of the spirit of prophecy is Jesus in the word. And so again, let's be a people of the word, let's know God in the scriptures and, 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 and yet understand this very, very powerful truth that, that we search the scriptures looking for Jesus, but You know, we we, want to know that that it's Jesus that we're looking for as we study the scriptures. It's Jesus that we want to find. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.